The code sets up high standards of performance for motion picture producers. It states the considerations which good taste and community value make necessary in this universal form of entertainment. So that recording we just listened to was a recording from the 1930s of one of the creators of the Motion Picture Production Code explaining the code's importance in regulating film content. So the Motion Picture Production Code, or the Hayes Code, was a set of rules that American films had to follow in order to be played in theaters. One of these rules was no open depictions of queerness or homosexuality, or I think the code referred to it as sex perversion. (laughs) Um, So because of this, a lot of filmmakers started to create and rely on a set of visual, vocal, and narrative cues to signal that a character was queer in some way without overtly stating it. And this is why so many older Hollywood movies have so much queer subtext. So even though the Hays Code ended in the late 1960s, it's had a pretty long-lasting effect on how filmmakers and audiences have been trained to see queerness within film. I'm Allie. I started this podcast, Queer Coded, as my final project at grad school as a way of seeing the impact of historical queer subtext on contemporary Hollywood films. Each section of this podcast focuses on potential queer subtext, or in later films, text, in two films from one genre. So, uh, sure. <laughs> hi. Today, oh god, I hate this. Um, yeah, it's really okay. hard. Even when you do it at the end, it's really, like, really awkward. <laughs> I just sound like such a dumbass. Okay, Leave so- this in. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so this episode is on queer-coded monster movies, and we're talking about the 2017 film Shape of Water and the... I have to look up when Bride of Frankenstein was made. 2016 film. <laughs> not 2016. 1935 film, The Bride of Frankenstein. And the co-host today is monster movie expert Austin Carr. Austin. I'm a monster movie moocher. Ew! That doesn't make any sense where you're just looking for alliteration. What does mooch mean? It means like like when you get like, your friends to pay for all your meals or something. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, you're right. I'm thinking muncher. Yeah, that makes more sense slightly. The only way I could describe it was gom gom gom. <laughs> I think you're thinking more of like a cookie monster vibe, but yeah. yeah. That's how I picture myself. Um, hi. <laughs> <laughs> hi, I'm Austin. Um, I, I'm, I, I'm an actor and I live in Los Angeles and I didn't just get this gig because I'm related to Ali. I like that we refer to it as a gig as though it, pays money to either of us i think it's let's, i don't know if we could call it anything else <laughs> so i asked austin here because i actually have historically not been the biggest fan of monster movies so he's here as like the resident monster expert monster. <laughs> yeah the I resident, monster. resident monster movie muncher, monster movie um, muncher. <laughs> No, yeah, I think monster movies are, like, very fun and stupid, and it's one of my favorite genres of film. I think just because anything can happen. Mm -hmm. um, And usually does. And usually does. It's sort of like (laughs) watching a cartoon and that, like, it's hard to predict where things are going to go, and I think that Mm -hmm. unpredictability is really fun. Yeah, and I think the genre, like, too, like, 
I don't know, once I started to look more into the genre and, like, see, like, the hallmarks of it, like, the mad scientist and the, like, the way that oh, the monster yeah. is framed. it's a very romantic, like, it's a really romantic canon. I yeah, think. and it's really campy and fun, so the more I researched it and started to notice, like, the conventions of the genre and, like, how different films treat it, the more I was like, oh, this is actually fun and I think I like this, so... I've been convinced. I always say that, I mean, this isn't specifically about monster movies, but I always say that um, scare, like horror movies are my favorite thing because it's the only genre of film where you immediately get to see, like, see who people really are. Ooh, um, that's so fucking deep. I, t- I, I think it's true, though. Like, that's why I didn't, like, I like scary movies because of, like, the scary parts of it and like the creepy parts of it but like ultimately it's really interesting to see like at the beginning of a story in a uh, in a scary movie who a person like performs to be mm-hmm. and then as the movie goes on and as they're like losing their sanity or as they're like more and more in danger you like r- it really reveals like the person that they are yeah. and like what they're willing to do yeah. or what the people around them are willing to do to them and, like, and i think what that's they really, really interesting think. Yeah, no, it's you're like right. the only genre of movie where you get to see people like purely as themselves. It's like a weird thing where like, OK, when I was watching um, Haunting of Hill House with Bailey, our sister, um, which Haunting of Hill House is so fucking good. I loved it. Yeah, I love it. Anyway, it's but really when we were watching it, so Bailey also loves horror. And I was just like, why do you like like horror so much? And she said something about how like she likes horror because it's like realistic which i just think is so interesting because it's also like true like it does feel like horror is like somehow more real (laughs) than anything else i don't know if that's something about like our mental state as a family or if that's like a deep introspection on the genre of horror but it does feel yeah like like real i just think it like it those types of movies really cut to the chase of what like humanity is without like the bows and whistles i sound like a 95 year old man yeah you sound like (laughs) Like, a really cut to the chase (laughs) (laughs) who are we as people why we all this fluffy (laughs) bows and whistles um yeah but yeah it's just like it's you immediately cut to the chase of like you like of how much of a human you really are and i think that's cool well, the whole, because the whole Especially thing about... in monster movie. And mon- to transition back to monsters. Well, because the whole thing about monsters is, like, it's about what you're afraid of. And it's about what you fear. And I think... Oh, my God. Wait. Actually, I think that was a quote from the Guillermo del Toro exhibit that I talk about later. That, like, I think he said something like, um, what you fear reveals who you are. Or something like that. And I was like, oh, whoa. That's, that's so, so true. deep and true. It's really true, though. But. It's, like, such a simple statement, but, like, the thing that you are afraid of really does, like, say who you Everything are. Everything about and you. And, like, what that means. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, like I said, we're going to talk about The Bride of Frankenstein a little bit and The Shape of Water. What do you expect? Such an audience needs something stronger than a pretty little love story. So why shouldn't I write of monsters? So monster movies had kind of like a golden age back in like the kind of 30s era. And that was when, so one of the most famous monster movie directors of old Hollywood was James Whale, who is the director of Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein. And he was, um, he was a gay man. And I think there was like a whole... One of those, like, you know how you can only do um, movies about gay people if you do, is it 
Biopic or biopic? Biopic. You know how you can only do movies about gay people if it's a biopic? There's a biopic, I think, about him called Gods and Monsters with, like, I think Ian McKellen is James Whale. Anyway. Love that. Yeah. Interesting casting. I haven't actually seen it, but so I have I have no opinion on it. But I did a while ago when I was researching this. I did some research on, like, James Whale and one of his... I'm going to cite this at the end because I don't remember the name of the biographer, but one of these biographers who wrote about James Whale said that one of his big contributions to the monster genre of old Hollywood was like humanizing the monster character. Yeah. And because, and a lot of people have like, James Whale never explicitly said, it is because I am a gay man in 1930. You know what I mean? But like a lot of people have linked like, oh, it kind of makes sense that a man who is gay in this incredibly homophobic time period in this homophobic country would perceive the monster in maybe a more empathetic light. And something that Whale also did was, like, a lot of the people he would cast would be gay or rumored to be bisexual or queer oh, in some way. Oh, I mean, way. Lord Byron at the weird intro of this oh, movie. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Okay, so we pair Bride of Frankenstein and Shape of Water because, I mean, it was kind of hard to pick because Guillermo del Toro has been influenced by, like, every monster movie ever, and we didn't want to pick something like Creature from the Black Lagoon. We didn't want to do, like, the blob from outer space. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that, but also, like, because he's pulling so obviously del Toro is from Creature from the Black Lagoon, we felt like to compare those two would maybe be a little bit like boring and on the nose like literally del toro told the people like like he said like um you know the creature from the black lagoon is like beautiful and everything but he's not like a leading man and my fish man you know like he would say like give him a soul so the whole goal with the fish man in shape of water was to be like the creature from the black lagoon but you know like i mean it's yeah it's just it's kind of boring to compare two movies right like literally shots from creature of the black lagoon are like redone or re-choreographed yeah Yeah. (laughs) so it's like yeah obviously (laughs) so so yeah so and also by setting shape of water in the 50s slash 60s i can't remember exactly when it is um hi finn you're ruining the audio um he's also like so old monster movies and like old hollywood in the 30s were a big thing with james whale and all of that And then there was kind of a resurgence in the 50s and 60s. And this was interesting because it was during the period of, like, McCarthyism. So this period of, like, um, Mm. I think they called it the Lavender Scare and everything. So it was, like, you don't know who's a Russian spy. So this was, like, more of the quote-unquote creature features. So you get, like... um, I married a man from outer space, exclamation point. I was a teenage werewolf, exclamation point. Like, all of these fears about body snatching. And no one is who they say they are. And people are secretly monsters. And there's no way to tell who's what. Yeah, I mean, that that was was the beginning of, like, invasion of the body snatchers. Kinds of narrative where you're, like... There's an alien invasion and, like, they could be all around us and we have no idea. (laughs) Yeah. And personally... Sort of like how the blob comes and plops (laughs) on everyone's houses. (laughs) And I, I don't know, I've thought about doing, like, another episode on monster movies talking about different movies because there's so many just, like, fun, stupid movies from that era. But I thought it would probably be best to do, like, one of the old classics from the 30s, like... The Bride of Frankenstein is like, okay, personally, we both found it very boring, 
but it's like a classic or whatever. <laughs> there is some bones disclaimer. to be picked with <laughs> the Bride of Frankenstein. Yeah, so basically we picked Bride of Frankenstein because it was a classic 1930s monster movie done by a famous gay director starring a lot of openly gay or like queer men. And we decided to compare it to Shape of Water because this is Guillermo del Toro giving his take on like a monster movie that instead of just like creating the horror from the fear of the other, which normally monsters represent, they're like a physical embodiment of the cultural fears of the time. So instead of like that being, instead of the scary thing being the monster, Guillermo Guillermo del Toro was like, okay, I'm going to make, I'm going to focus completely on the scary thing being the horrible treatment of the monster instead of the monster itself. Yeah, anyway. I will also, I will say too, there's another, re- the other reason why we chose The Bride of Frankenstein as opposed to like other 1930s monster movies is we wanted to see and compare the differences between like the relationship between the female lead and the monster. Yes. Um, oh, the like monster how, carrying off the woman. Yeah, like the image of the monster carrying off the woman and how that's like subverted in shape of water compared to wh- how that image was so used to being perceived back in like the 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s and 10s and, and all time <laughs> it's a perfect night for mystery and horror the air itself is filled with monsters i'm all ears while heaven blasts the night without open up your pits of hell Okay, so a quick summary of Bride of Frankenstein. It came out in 1935. It was the sequel to the 1931 film Frankenstein. Both were directed by James Whale and starred Boris Karloff as the monster. James Whale is a pretty famous director from the like 1930s slash 40s Hollywood golden era. Um, He was also an openly gay man um, during that time period, which, which is a big deal because a lot of gay men back then especially gay men within like the hollywood entertainment industry would not be open about their sexuality but whale was known for that so the movie starts with percy shelley mary shelley and lord byron the like romantic era poets and authors sitting in a house talking about like how scary mary shelley's frankenstein was um the like the first one the first movie and then mary's like and that's not even the end of the story (laughs) and the two men are like what tell us more mary um oh and both percy and lord byron are like very flamboyant in this movie most of the male characters in this movie are and then so mary like starts telling the rest of the story and that's how this movie starts with like this weird little framing narrative that never comes back or is referenced again like it's not like at the end of the movie we like go back to Byron and Mary. It's just like this bizarre little standalone intro. (laughs) So after this, the movie starts where the first movie left off. So everyone in this town, village, thinks the monster is dead and that Dr. Henry Frankenstein is also dead. But the monster is actually alive and he kind of wanders off alone. Meanwhile, Dr. Henry Frankenstein's supposedly dead body is carried back to his mansion castle where his grieving wife slash fiance this whole movie i was never sure if they were married or not and i don't think it matters basically she's like his wife his wife's name is elizabeth so it turns out that henry frankenstein is alive after all somehow even though he was like 
fell off a building and like burned or something crazy happened to him. Um, he's alive and he's recovering with Elizabeth in their big castle when a man named Dr. Septimus Pretorius, who's like this older scientist figure, he shows up and he says that he has to talk to Henry. And so we find out that Pretorius has heard of Henry's success in creating the monster and Pretorius wants to work with Henry to create a mate for the monster, like a woman monster. These two men have this conversation about like the joy and perversity of playing God and creating life. And then Henry says like, I can't do this again. Look at all the bad things that have happened. And it's really dramatic. But then at the same time, he's also like really likes the power of like being able to create life and play God. So he agrees to work with Pretorius. Meanwhile, the monster has just been like wandering around the countryside this whole time, trying to find someone who doesn't like scream and run away from him. And it's really sad to watch him be so just lonely. Um, and then eventually the monster meets this blind older man who lives alone and the man is super nice to the monster because he can't see him and the man gives the monster food and plays him music and teaches him how to speak English a little bit and they're really good friends for like three minutes of runtime until other people show up at the old man's house and they tell the old man that you know the monster is a monster so then the monster is locked up by the townspeople very briefly, but he escapes to these like underground crypt things and he meets Pretorius down there. And this is their first meeting, the monster and Pretorius. So the monster and Pretorius decide to work together really for no reason. Um, I guess they're both bad because they're both like abominations to nature because like the monster is a monster and because Pretorius is pretty heavily implied to be a gay man. So then Henry Frankenstein starts to question the ethics of continuing to create another monster. Pretorius and the monster kidnap Elizabeth and they use her as leverage to get Henry to finish. So they finish creating the female monster, she comes to life for all of like two minutes of the movie's runtime, and she rejects the monster because she also doesn't like him. So the monster is super sad, and then he tells Henry, the monster, tells Henry and Elizabeth to run away together. And after Henry and Elizabeth run away, the monster, like, blows up the lab where he, Pretorius, and the female monster are, because he says that Henry and Elizabeth should live, but that Pretorius and the two monsters belong dead. And it's a really strange movie. Do I recommend it? No, not really. But we talked about it anyway, because it's pretty famous and it's like very commonly referenced as a queer coded horror movie and we are going to talk about why and if we agree with that reading before i show you the results of my trifling experiments i would like to drink to our partnership do you like gin it is my only weakness To a new world of gods and monsters. <laughs> okay, so The Bride of Frankenstein, directed by James Whale. I think Ernest Thesiger, who plays Dr. Pretorius, was the only one who was like openly gay, but I'm pretty sure the guy who played Henry Frankenstein was like bi or queer in some way. Yeah, he and there seems were, like it. Yeah, and there were rumors about all these men. So Thesiger, who plays Dr. Pretorius, was famous for his, like, and I got a lot of this information from this really cool book called 
um, Monsters in the Closet, Homosexuality in the Horror Film by Harry Benshoff, and it's awesome. Ben is putting his face on my computer. Stop. <laughs> um, anyway, really great. But he talks about how, like, uh, during the 1930s time period, a lot of the queer coding that would take place, especially in monster movies, was less... Well, some of it was with the monster itself, but Harry Benshoff argues that the monster is the most heterosexual character in Bride of Frankenstein because he just, like, wants a woman, whereas, oh, like... Oh, I agree. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Also, the monster is always saying friend when he's talking about the woman, but actually, originally, he was saying mate, but the production code said that was too sexual. That's so lame. <laughs> yeah. So, in a lot of old Particularly movies, in a movie where they made a woman <laughs> specifically solely for the purpose of like having sex, sex. <laughs> this dead co- walking corpse we created a sex object for our monster corpse <laughs> i mean we'll yeah. get into it but also like the fact that she has like an hourglass figure and like makeup <laughs> and like and they put her in like a flowing white dress <laughs> yeah with like a big updo and he's like a growling <laughs> ball of bolts stitched together it's really funny is bizarre but okay my last thing about that is oh so traditionally in a lot of older monster movies they would do like they conceptualized of gay people solely in terms of kink because they thought like oh gay men so they're basically one's a man one's a woman and that's how it works so they thought of it as purely like a dom sub male female dynamic which is obviously not accurate but that's what they thought gay men were i mean i would argue that uh, a lot of people still think that (laughs) that's true (laughs) that's true that's true but so that so a lot of times the mad scientist pairings in older monster movies they would have like uh an assistant who is like i think in the first frankenstein he, like, has some kind of physical disfigurement who, like, yeah, is his, like, you know, his assistant. And essentially, like, in terms of this, like, perceived gay dynamic, his, like, sub. Okay. Oh, and also the whole thing was, like, you know, it's two men, a dom and a sub, who have to always kick the women out of the room to go do science experiments alone together late at night. And they have secret knowledge of things that other people would say are unnatural and perverse which i do think it's funny and talking about i want us to talk about women in bride of frankenstein because i think it's so funny how dr pretorius is always kicking oh, the wife out of the my room god his disdain for this <laughs> wife for no reason like she has nothing oh to do god. with him and he like she'll leave the room and he'll like glare at her as she goes it's like calm down dude and he's always like i need to talk to frankenstein alone and she's like why and he's like just get out it's just like my a very like misogynist was, <laughs> my favorite part in the entire movie made me laugh so hard which is saying something because i probably was the most i ever felt anything watching that movie um <laughs> but it's the he kicks the wife out of the room and she has like a melissa mccarthy moment where she like walks out closes the door pauses and is like well i hope he doesn't stress him out and then like walks away <laughs> <laughs> Why did they include that? It was so weird. Like, two cameras. She's like, I hope he doesn't hurt my husband. Oh, well. And, like, they, you know, paid money to film that minute scene where she says And, you know, they did it, like, 12 times. It's so stupid. Yeah. And she has her, like, old kind of nurse, like, handmaiden lady who's just, like, 
running around and is always right, oh, but no one listens God. to her. There were so many moments where I was like, is this supposed to be, like, it's got to be supposed to be funny because they're like comedy beats. <laughs> like when yeah. the woman like sees the monster behind her and the music is like, doop, 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 doop. <laughs> and she turns around and she's like, uh. I was like, what is happening? I love this movie. And then I didn't. <laughs> Yeah, let's, okay, so now that I've kind of done my little, like, spiel on background info, tell me your, you can, we'll do your five-minute rant about the movie. Tell me all the things you hated about it. Well, I think the most <laughs> egregious offense that we just have to get off right the bat is, um, I, when I sit down to watch a movie called The Bride of Frankenstein, <laughs> I don't expect the bride to be in it from the opening number. I understand. You have to build up. Yeah, to you got to build up to the bride. You sort of got to have like the dramatic tension of like, when's she, when's the marriage going to happen? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We get it. A dramatic reveal. People love a wedding. Yes. But the bride of Frankenstein. The, okay. <laughs> the movie is an hour and 14 minutes, including credits. And thank God it's, it's only that It's important for everybody long. to know that the bride of Frankenstein first appears in the movie at hour one hour and 10 minutes she is in the movie for the last two minutes and they had the gall to call this the to title this i think she gets maybe like four close-ups and then dies and that okay. was the movie okay i will say technically her first appearance is in the very beginning so the movie starts with a weird framing narrative with lord byron Percy Shelley and Mary Shelley and in this framing narrative oh I couldn't figure out who she was I thought she was no it is her shepherd shepherdess (laughs) no it's her so in this framing narrative Byron and Percy Shelley are dead like Byron is very flamboyant Percy Shelley and Byron it seems to be some kind of weird threesome going on which is potentially what was also happening IRL for them in the romantic period. Doesn't um, surprise me. <laughs> yeah. So she starts telling the story, and the same actress who plays Mary Shelley also plays the Bride of Frankenstein at the very end. Anyway, I mean, yeah, back it's definitely to you. A cool. I guess it's cool. It's one of those things where I'm like, that's cool. I don't know, like, <laughs> I don't know what, what to do means. with this, but it's <laughs> yeah, cool. Like, I noticed like, I'll tuck it. Tuck that in my like. <laughs> Cool fact toolbox. Like, I don't know what else to say. No. Also, I just realized Frankenstein is the doctor. So this movie's actually about Elizabeth, the bride of Frankenstein. Yes. Oh, boom. And she does get screen time. Which See, that's why rude, she gets her little aside. how she's the most useless person in this entire movie. Okay, to be fair. Absolutely nothing to do. And everyone in this movie hates her. Like, actively hates her. (laughs) To be fair, though, in the book Frankenstein, Elizabeth, the character, is pretty equally useless. So, like, she's really just, like, a plot device that gets kidnapped. So, for leverage. Similar thing. (laughs) But I'm glad that she had such moments as, I hope he doesn't hurt my husband. Like, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well. Or the part where they were like, <laughs> the monster had gotten out and was like, a go- at the end of the movie, when the Bride of Frankenstein rejects Frank and, uh, rejects the monster, the mm-hmm. incel monster, and he's like, I'm going to kill all of us. And he goes to pull the lever, and then Elizabeth is like, let me in. And it's like, he's like, the monster's about to kill us, my They're love. They're about and to she's all like, die. <laughs> she's like, still, I need to be with you. And he's like, okay. And he lets her in, and I was like, 
cool good for elizabeth i guess i don't know that was like the only other thing she did in the movie well that's the other thing about potential queer coding in this movie is like so she says like i'm scared something's coming to take you away from me and then immediately we get ernest thesiger as dr pretorius come on the wedding night to come between the bride of frankenstein and frankenstein and ernest thesiger plays dr pretorius is kind of like like an old queen, you know what I mean? Oh, like, yeah, he's fabulous. Yeah, he's a lot of fun. Like, the scene where he's, like, cackling in the crypt with the skull, like, drinking is, like... With his wine, yeah, he's yeah. like, oh. <laughs> And like, then he sees the monster, and he's not scared at all, and he's like, oh. Oh, hello there. Come to see me. It's <laughs> like, oh. Yeah, I get very, like, um, Dr. Frankenfurter and what's his monster's name? Rocky or whatever vibes from that kind Rocky. of scene. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But anyway, like, science man comes, breaks up the wedding, and also the monster is standing in between this, like, perfect, seemingly perfect, heterosexual union. And when the monster is defeated, Frankenstein and Elizabeth can, you know, the movie ends with the shot of them, like, hugging, and they can go be heterosexuals together. But the whole, like, the monster is what's keeping them apart and all, yeah, anyway. Yeah, I mean, if you wanted to, I, <laughs> I have such a hard Please time. Please push like, back because I'm, I like, this is the conventional reading of this movie based on my research. I personally was really bored the in the movie, so I, I don't really care. That, like, <laughs> I, yeah, I think that, like, I'm sure that, I'm sure that, like, knowing the context of film history at the time really changes, changes how yeah. you read the queerness of this movie. Yes. I think that I just thought, so much of it was just like I mean it's just like and I wonder if it's just the conventions of the time where he like really wanted to say something but because <laughs> of the time he because wasn't he literally couldn't <laughs> yeah where I'm just like I'm sure like I think there's a lot of things you can read into like there's a there's a lot of like seeming care go into the idea of like natural order like we created this natural order so we need like this man and this woman but then their whole conflict of like they the whole movie they're going through all of this work to find the monster a mate because they want to be like they want to like feel like gods and they want to have like a whole a speed a whole like species of creations that they've made themselves and they want them to like go forth and be fruitful and multiply but then she doesn't she doesn't want to be yeah, and also and she, this is also like two men creating a baby together. Yeah, and she rejects him, and it's like yeah. a whole like rejection of the natural order, and then everything <laughs> falls apart. Yeah, so I, I mean, I, I think there's definitely things there. I think I just like so much of the story itself was like unclear. Like I never really understood why anybody was doing anything because nobody acted like a person in this movie. Yeah. Ironically, the monster was like the most, per- <laughs> the most like human. I was, he was the only one that I understood his motivations. And that's, I don't think that was like an intentional choice. I don't think it was like an intentional choice for this story to be like, everyone's emotional arc except for the monsters is pretty much nonsensical. I think it was just, they didn't know how to like tell this story in a way that yeah. was engaging you know what I mean like like you it don't feels like care a play about... at a lot of yeah. parts yeah oh it's it's like stage like the campiness of the movie felt very play the beginning is like, like exactly what a play is where they're all like 
it's like the townspeople are standing and you get like a summary of how everybody's happened how everything ended up like that's such a play thing yeah. to do where you're just and like, the the wow, burger master comes out the sky. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and everyone's like we're catching you up to speed now on with the story um <laughs> and also the framing thing. device of lord byron summarizing like that also felt very like shakespeare like oh yeah okay. <laughs> it's weird to have two like framing devices at the beginning of the movie where <laughs> they were like we're here to summarize what happened in the original Frankenstein but in terms of its spookiness and then like you get <laughs> cut to the townspeople and they're like we're here to summarize what happened in Frankenstein like the the plot like where we left off and now we're yeah. gonna go next yeah I don't know I I I just I I will be fully honest in that I got so bored watching this movie that I had to pause three times to rewind because I was like I would like look up from my phone and be like wait what is happening? Why are they having this conversation? I don't understand. So I'd rewind five minutes and I'd be like, oh, there's no reason for them to be having They're this conversation. Just, yeah. It was just like convenient for the story that they were in the same room. Like the fact that the monster starts working with the mad scientist is like completely on like, yeah, there's no reason for it. Like, you know, he no. didn't like go there seeking out the mad scientist. It was just like no. they like stumbled into the same room together and they were like, um, you are the monster and I am evil, so I guess we can make a plan. And it's just like, okay, like what? And the villain of the movie is Dr. Pretorius, who is very much just like campy evil queen who just shows up to cause like anarchic queer chaos and kind of try to get it on with every man in the story, subtextually, not textually. Not um, textually. God, it would have been way more interesting. It would have been. <laughs> that would have been a lot more fun. But. He, like, has no... He doesn't really, like... You don't really understand why he, like... Like, he seems to kind of want to I mean, destroy the world, talk, but you don't really like get it. Like you said, like, talking about comparing how the villains are treated in, like, Guillermo del Toro movies compared to how the villains are treated in, like, this. It's just, like, I have no idea, like, particularly why he's i mean i guess they do have the, like the monologue where he's like i want to be god but it's like that doesn't yeah. motivate him on like a scene to scene basis and i will say thesiger does do a very like like that does feel like a classic like queer villain portrayal you know what i mean like oh uh, yeah sissy villain effeminacy all of that and that plays into like his creepiness where you're like there's something degenerate about this man and i think it's that he's a homosexual (laughs) it's like the beginning of an exploration of something that was so taboo at the time that it's like set the groundwork for like yeah you know like it inspired like way better stuff (laughs) um yeah basically well for it, it it set the groundwork for movies that were like able to really like explore those topics because they didn't have so many limitations on them of like what was allowed and like what you could get approved and all that kind of thing yeah um i think there's i i i totally understand why people read so much queerness into it i mean like the way that the movie treats women it's very much like they are a even saying that women are a necessary evil in this movie is like kind of generous because they well they're not though because men can make life without women (laughs) i know but like they even yeah also like why they spend all this time being like we need to create a woman so he can reproduce but it's like just make him a kid (laughs) like if you wanted to you know what i mean like just make twenty five thousand more of him why do you need a woman at all but it feels like the at best, the movie is sort of, like, dismissive of any of the female characters. And at worst, it seems, like, particularly disdainful of, like, their... Like, the part where Elizabeth has, like, 
she's like, I think he's coming to take you. And she like literally has like the vapors and swoons. And you're just like, <laughs> these hysterical this women. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just like, it's like, can we get this fainting lady out of the way so the gay boys can talk? It's very much just like, all right, like, okay, let's find a reason to get these women out of these scenes. <laughs> like, well, it's so interesting, too, because especially with, like, other movies of the time, but especially later with creature features of the 50s and 60s, typically in, like, monster movies of the era. Like, so if you think about something like King Kong and the way oh, that the yeah. camera normally sexualizes women and women's bodies and like women who are afraid and who are being carried off and like you know the scenes in the creature from the black lagoon where it's following her body swimming like there's this fascination with you know women's bodies (laughs) i mean speaking of like the whole like dom sub dynamic like that's such a thing in old creature features and old horror movies i mean think of like dracula where you're just like oh yeah the whole thing is like this super powerful, like, Sexy, very masculine energy monster. But yeah, it's it's like, that's such a big part of the dynamic is like, I don't want to say, I don't want to say like the complete like domination of a woman, but there's like an element to that that almost feels like voyeuristic where you're like yes. watching this monster like, it's like, oh, the monster's doing that thing that all of us 50s men wish we could do. Right. Like this carry off a woman who doesn't really want it, but she submits to you because <laughs> it's you kind of are fucked up. a powerful monster and you carry, like, you know, like, and there's like a, the um, and underwater. Like, that's yeah, such like a, an animalistic primal thing, which. Yeah, it's a very, like, primal yeah. energy that you're supposed to be like, oh. But also, the filmmakers are really lingering on her body, so it's clearly supposed to be sexual. Right. You know? And Bride of Frankenstein is just so uninterested in doing that, well, which I think is fascinating. <laughs> it's fascinating because it perfectly fits that genre, but it just does not do that at all. To yeah. the point where you're like, clearly, I mean, talking about the queerness, like clearly something is happening here because, I mean, the whole premise of this movie, a woman, his wife, who he's like allegedly in love with. Allegedly. Gets kidnapped. I, I, allegedly is in all caps there because... <laughs> She gets kidnapped, and I think he, like, spends maybe 25 seconds being like, oh, no. (laughs) Elizabeth, where'd she go? Elizabeth. (laughs) Back to the lab. Like, it's very, like, um, she, like, gets kidnapped by by the monster who does that because he, like, sees her in her bedroom. Like, it's a very, like, intimate thing. Mm -hmm. Um, He's also, like, the monster's, like, stealing another man's wife, which is, like, He's cucking him. Yeah. Cuckoldry. Sensual (laughs) cuckoldry. But also, like, the whole plot, and I, again, plot is a little bit generous here, too. (laughs) But the plot of the movie is, like, they're creating a, like, female monster to, for Frankenstein, nope, for the monster, gotta be correct, for the monster (laughs) to have sex with. And that is literally the plot of the film. And it's, like, not sexual at all no yeah. part of it that is feels it feels very like mechanical and like yes they make her pretty and they like make her like glowing when she's on the table but it's not like filmed in the same it's it doesn't have it doesn't same, like, linger on her body gaze. at all yeah yeah it lingers on her face in a way to like show her scars and show her being weird but it's not like yeah a very slow shot coming up the curves of her legs right you know in a way that like creature of the the black lagoon absolutely or like like king kong does with andero oh yeah um yeah i think it's 
Well, I think the whole movie is just really interesting because it is, like, doing this genre of, like, the monster carries off the unwilling woman and it's all about the woman, supposedly. But like you were saying with the title, like, it's called Bride of Frankenstein. But we just keep getting these weird threesomes of, like, a woman in between two men who seem to have more chemistry with each other than anyone does with the woman. You know what I mean? Like, the movie is supposedly about Elizabeth or the bride that they create for the monster, although they're barely in it and they kind of don't matter and it's really just about like these men just want to like quote unquote do science together and make weird creations it's not really about the women at all and like no one cares about about them (laughs) to the point where his wife gets kidnapped and it's like barely a plot point like that's crazy (laughs) (laughs) like she gets kidnapped and it's like well, now they can strong arm you into doing that thing that you already were doing. Yeah, like, well, that's the like, thing. It's like, <laughs> they use it as like, well, we're going to strong arm you into doing it. But it's like, well, he was already, like, helping you. He like, already, like, agreed. <laughs> like, yeah. He already was helping. Crit. Because we didn't want to do it for the monster. Because one of the things that established at the beginning was, like, he has this, like, lust for the power of God. And he wants to, like, create, you know what I mean? Like, there were those moments where he was like, I should give it up, but I can't. But I, but I don't want you, but it's wrong. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, he, we've already established, like, this is something he already wants to do. So then, yeah, kidnapping the wife just feels like, oh, is she still around? Like, oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, he's like, oh, I mean, on paper, I'm supposed to care about her. So. <laughs> on paper, this is outrageous. <laughs> it, I feel like this movie has, it has that sort of, like, queerness in the way that, like, ancient Greece did. Where, <laughs> where, where it's like, like very misogynist <laughs> yeah it's like a very like misogynist kind of queerness where you're like like being masculine and being in like relationships with men whether that's sexual or not is really wrapped up in this mystique of like intelligence and like we can talk about yes! real things yeah and we can talk about power and we can things talk the about, women like, don't understand creation, becoming a god <laughs> and it's like this idea that like we'll dismiss the woman before we can talk about any of this because like they just want to talk about getting married and like taking care of us. Their brains the aren't developed for to... these things. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like oh, women can't be able to participate in like the conversations of the true essence of manhood. And like, yes, that reads as very gay, but it also just reads as super misogynistic to me. And I think the misogyny sort of like outweighs any of like the fun gayness that I yeah. could take out of it. Because I was just the whole time I was just like, God. This is a movie called The Bride of Frankenstein, and it's (laughs) barely even about her. (laughs) Like, she's in two scenes, and one of them she faints, and then the other one she's carried away. Like, it was just like, you know, women do this. (laughs) Sometimes women um, work themselves into a tizzy, imagining some unforeseen evil. (laughs) Oh, I hope he doesn't bother my husband. As she's there to take care of him. She, like, gives herself a panic attack and makes him comfort her after he had a building fall on him. Like, this is how this movie sees women. <laughs> That's literally how the movie feel felt to me watching it, where I was just like, it seems like just, like, the characters are like, yeah, I'm, I mean, she's my wife. Like, of course I, I care about her. Of course I'm upset that she was kidnapped. She's my wife. Like, on paper, this is a bad yeah. thing. Like, it was very much like that, where it's just like, yeah, sure. Like, that would upset anyone, I guess. <laughs> and But, like, I do wonder, like, is part of it just, like, okay, like, whenever we're quoting lines from this movie or trying to, we're doing the, what is it, the old-time Hollywood voice, the, the mid-Atlantic, Mid-Atlantic accent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, the like, sometimes 
I wonder, yeah, the accent that doesn't exist. Sometimes I wonder, like, am I just, like, not understanding the style of 1930s acting at this point in time? Or, like, do these men not care about this woman at all? You know what I mean? Like, do I just not get the brilliance of this portrayal? You know what I mean? Because, like, the whole 1930s acting style is very foreign to me and very different from how, um, like, actors act now. Do you know what I mean? I think there's probably some truth to that because it is very much like play acting where yeah. like sexual chemistry on stage is very different than sexual chemistry in like a intimate close up. Like it's yes. it's just a very different style of acting. And so I think a lot of times when you watch these older movies that are really like it's basically like filmed on a stage that yeah. would be like a like everyone's like cheating out to the front and like the blocking <laughs> is very stage like, you know. I, I get. Sure. I, I don't know what those words mean. Cheating out is just when you like turn your body to the audience in a way that you wouldn't actually stand if you were like filming a scene oh. for camera. So, so they like, can see you. I get it. Yeah, it's something that they always do in these like old timey movies is like, like like in the opening scene, like no, they're having a conversation, but none of them are facing each other. They're all like opened up to the window, or like they're okay. all in a line. Like that's, it's just a very like awkward, um, play thing that happens more i mean it it does happen in film sometimes but it's more just like you're cheating for the camera yeah but in plays you're completely like it's just like you're all working together to like it's unrealistic positioning facade yeah yeah i think that goes into the way like you deliver lines because you have to like be really loud so i think that's an element of it but at the same time like i've seen movies from the 30s that are romances and fully felt the connection between them and felt right. like the actors were like giving each other things to work off and like they had longing stares. So I don't like think it's Catherine an- Hepburn and Cary Grant, you get the sexual yeah. tension. You know what or I mean? Fucking like Marlon Brando. Like you watch any of these things <laughs> and you're like, whoa. Yeah. Like Although I think is... he was like twenty years later, but yeah. As a, <laughs> it's all black and white. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I get what you mean. There's been romance movies in the thirties that I've seen where I'm like like hubba hubba <laughs> right like their like back and forth um verbal exchanges have like kind of the like like there's a lot of chemistry and it feels very heated there's, because that's yeah, how you had like to convey like sexual tension yeah there's like yeah there's chemistry that's i mean that's definitely not like a thing that was invented in the 50s because we like got better at acting like no that's always <laughs> been a thing <laughs> yeah it just no you're right just don't especially especially in this movie it's just like a thing that does not exist i think part of it too is just like it's kind of a weird movie yeah like when they were developing the horror movies for the first times i think that they didn't necessarily think that they could like do a lot of different things at the same time in the way that we see things now like when they were fully just like developing a they genre. were creating these techniques yeah. that we now take for granted yeah like they were cre- they were inventing the idea of doing a movie where the pro- like the main emotion you're supposed to feel is fear right whereas now that's like cool but that's boring so we want to yeah. feel like fear and we also want to feel like sad we want to feel fear and we also want to feel like claustrophobic or like emotionally affected by the story we want to like feel bad for the characters in a way that like that wasn't really an expect an expectation at the time they were just like this is supposed to like this is supposed to make all of the kids like lose their minds and want to see this movie like five more times it's supposed to give you like um like 
the idea of horror as like perverse thrill or something like that like a more like yeah like this is taboo like, like yeah like a shock and like a thrill i was kind of surprised watching the movie just how much work they went into like saying more like there were there were a lot of discussions between the mad scientist and victor frankenstein about like the nature of what it means to be a god and like yeah okay we created life what is the next step that i, yeah. I thought was, all of that was really interesting yeah. the idea of like being like we want to create a species because like we need to, t- to take this further and like that i think those that element of it was not something i was expecting i think because i th- i think of old black and white classic horror movies as being just like very paint by the numbers like this is scary like you it's just a bunch of scenes of like people like yeah. walking down hallways being scared so i was like impressed by um by the level of work they went into to like really wrestling with the ideas that are in the original book which is like like all about creation, creation of and life. suffering yeah. and like what it means to be God. like yeah it was really interesting and i and also there were some think really good we, lines in there too yeah, there were some really cool lines. I, I also don't think we've given enough credit to the idea that, like, this director revolutionized what you could do with a, mo- a movie monster. And that, yeah. like, he is... I mean, at least for me watching the movie, I f- felt way more on his side than on anybody else's side. And, yeah. like, the movie did that on purpose. Like, there's so many scenes of the townspeople like framed as very scary coming after like him genuinely for doing scary yeah with their yeah. pitchforks and fire like yeah i think that or he has the scene where he like meets the the blind man and yeah he, he teaches him the word friend like those are obviously intentionally supposed to make you be like wait but he's but he's the monster but i right feel bad for him and right like, that was the and like first is he really monstrous happened. yeah like and no other scary movies at the time were doing that Right, like the Mummy. I haven't seen that one. The not the '90s one, obviously, um, but the old one. I haven't seen that in a while. But like, it's not really like humanizing that monster. Like, it's normally those old no. monster movies weren't about humanizing the monster, and making you yeah, feel like empathy. Yeah, like old werewolf. There's no fucking werewolf. I mean, there's <laughs> none of the old like Wolfman movies. You're supposed to be like. Ugh. It, what a tragedy he turns into a wolf at midnight like you're supposed like, well what about like, the wolf man's feelings like no yeah it's, <laughs> it's not at all that so like the fact that they were able to do that with frankenstein is really interesting okay so this is the end of the monster movie part one um and on the next episode we are talking about the shape of water which is one of my favorite movies